From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It may not be obvious on the surface, but there was a championship theme connecting the Gators this week. As football continued building a championship mentality on the practice fields, gymnastics took the first step toward its championship hopes, and men's basketball welcomed back a key piece of its championship DNA. On today's show, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the last full week of spring football practice men's basketball's latest player and staff moves under Todd Golden, the record-setting performance from gymnastics at NCAA regionals, a tough stretch for baseball, and the best storybook sports endings in the PAT. Then, two-time Olympic gold medalist and recently crowned NCAA champion Bobby Fink shares how he was molded into a world-class swimmer nearly from birth, where he keeps his medals and much more. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It's spring break for a lot of people. There's no spring break for the podcast, especially not for our Gator Roundtable. Scott Carter and Chris Harry are here to discuss a, a wide menu of Gator topics. And guys, let, let's start with spring football. We are now about depending on when you're listening to this, either a week or less than a week away from the Orange and Blue game, which of course will be under the lights on a Thursday night for the first time. Uh, Scott, what are some of the latest storylines you've been tracking from spring football with the game just around the corner? Well, I think the fact that they're having a game and the the format was released yesterday where, you know, uh, it's going to be two teams. It's going to be kind of like real football, not so much a showcase. I mean, there's going to be some limits on you know, hitting and stuff of that nature, but the, the teams are going to run out of different tunnels. You know, they want to make it a competitive environment for those players. Uh, it's a chance for them to learn a little bit more about the guys. So obviously as we get here in the final week, I, I think just having a spring game and, and that format change. I mean, a lot of people after the 2019 spring game, when it turned into more of a, a show than, there really much football. I, I know there was some verbal jostling on social media that, you know, we there should have been more football. So I think that uh, not that that has anything to do with what Billy Napier and his staff are doing. I think they need to see some, some players put in some pressure situations uh, to give them an idea of what their plans are going into the summer and into fall camp. So, uh, you know, otherwise, Adam, you know, there's not been anything significant beyond what we've talked about, you know, in terms of the culture change that Billy Napier is implementing, uh, you know, Anthony Richardson coming back and showing that, you know, he's at least recovered from the offseason knee surgery. I think this is a team that Billy Napier still has a lot of unanswered questions in terms of leadership, playmakers. I mean, there's just a lot of unknowns. I know we're beating a, a kind of sound like we're beating the same drum here, but it's just true. I mean, spring football has always been a little bit like that, no matter, 
you know, the program or the coaching situation. But when you have a first year coach taking a program that went six and seven last year and you're in this era of transfer portal and a lot of things going on the side, there's going to this team is going to have some new players by the time the fall camp starts. Some of the guys we're looking at now are not going to be here. But what he's trying to do is determine, okay, who definitely is going to be here? How can we best utilize them? I think that's what this has really been about. And it will obviously climax with the spring game uh, in a few, uh, what, a week. Yeah. And to that point, I guess, I don't know if we've done a podcast since they had their first scrimmage. And Coach Napier came and chatted about, you know, about how aggressive he was going to be with the transfer portal. Um, not that that's any secret or anything, but I mean, he's, he, he's basically like throwing up a marker. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're going to do that. And I think just uh, objectively looking at it, I mean, Flor- Florida's probably got a pretty decent first team, pretty competitive. They need a lot of depth, man. And um, you're going to have to get some of that from the transfer portal. What's funny, Scott and I were watching that scrimmage game. I think it was the last Thursday, Scott. That's right. Last Thursday night. Yeah. It was pouring down rain outside. Mm-hmm. And he and I are standing aside, and, and Napier walks pretty much by himself on the sidelines, right, during these um, calling plays on his headset and what have you. And this guy came down and caught this pass right in front of him and, and ran and got tackled. And he's just kind of laughing. He turns around, takes his heads off, headset off and looks at Scott and I. He goes, <laughs> he goes that guy was a defensive tackle two days ago. He goes, we had, <laughs> he goes we, had, we had a long snapper catch a tight end pass earlier today. There's little to no depth at the tight end position as it stands right now. They got some guys coming in in the fall, uh, signees or what have you. Um, but they're just uh, – they're moving bodies around. And, Scott, who was the guy who caught that pass at defensive lineman? Uh, Griffin McDowell, uh, number 97. You know when number 97 catches one, you're <laughs> like, who, who, who's that guy? <laughs> what is this – what are his – you probably have his height and weight right there. What is his height and weight? Because he, he looked like a defensive lineman catching a pass. Yeah, That's he's 6'4", like. 283. Okay, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Not exactly the sleep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kyle yeah. He Pitts. didn't look. He didn't look like Kyle Pitts. Right. No. <laughs> Probably runs a four-four flat, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I doubt that. But you know, they have uh, <laughs> Nick Elksness and Jonathan Odom. They're on the sideline and and slings. And then Kamori Gamble went to UCF. So the only scholarship tied in on the roster just spring guys is Keon Zipper. What I'd like to say, if I can add, Adam. I mean, what. As fascinating as it is to watch whether Anthony Richardson throws seven on seven or eleven on eleven, or see just kind of the the some of the things that they're doing both offensively and def- defensively, I tell you what: when when practice ends and to see how they exit practice, how they line up, and and Billy Napier has a has a message to his team every day, and usually it's a lesson, and usually it's like a, a mini kind of chat that he has with them, and. It has more to do with life than specifically football, but he ties it on into football and how it's going to make them a better team. And listening to him deliver the message in his, like I always say, it's 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 measured. It's very well thought out. It's a it's a it, the, the, his delivery is spectacular, and it is just so impressive to me how he has you know commanded the room so far. And I know, of course, a head coach is going to command the room. Yes, but uh, this is different, and it's it's a better message. Um, it's a, it's a more, uh, it's a more culture related, uh, a strong, stronger culture kind of, kind of message that resonates with, with a lot of these guys and the ones that it doesn't resonate with, he's going to get it to resonate with them because he knows how to bring them into the fold. And, uh, 
I, I know he hadn't won a game yet. He hadn't lost a game yet. Uh, but I've been really impressed by what I've seen from him so far, but, but more so what I've heard from him so far, not, and, and again, not standing at the podium, you know, he gets asked a lot of questions and he answers them as patiently as possible and as well as he can, but he, he doesn't get into specifics a lot about individual players. Um, and there's, there's a talent to that, to still be mm-hmm. able to answer the question and still feel like you, you just heard him tell you something, but you, we don't know a lot of, uh, a lot about individual guys and how they are playing right now. Um, but that's just part of his method. And uh, he knows it. You could tell he's confident with it and you know, it works for him. And uh, the deeper we get it, he, he said, he told his team the other day, not to give away the ranch, but he, he goes, I, we are better than we were two weeks ago when we got this thing started. And I know how we're better and we're going to get even, even better. Now, of course you're supposed to say that, Mm-hmm. When he says it, you believe it. And uh, I, I, I know the message is, is working with these guys, and I'm anxious to see how it m- manifests itself, not just in the spring game, but beyond that. Um, but to Scott's point about a more competitive spring game, we're not going to see 250-pound uh, Lawrence Wright catching passes in the end zone, they're, they're, you know, like uh, uh, without a helmet on or something like that mm. 25 years later. Yeah, we're going to see actual football. That was pretty funny, though. Some of the – some of the gimmicks they had for uh, for spring games of recent past were uh, they were entertaining, but uh, yeah, they weren't really helping the team get much better. And obviously, given where Florida's coming from, that is uh, that is supremely important. Um, I want to turn attention to basketball. Lots of news going on this time of year. Uh, and I guess there, there's two parts. To this there's a there's a player part. There's a staff part. Chris, let's start with players. Um, the transfer portal rules all these days. And uh, some big announcements made by some Gators in the last week that are leaving who, believe it or not, still had eligibility thanks to the, uh, the COVID year. Um, so who is, who is departing, at least as of the time that, that we record this? Well, uh, uh, if, if you go by Twitter, and again, uh, you know, these aren't things that are, that are being announced by FloridaGators.com, but Tyree Appleby has said he's transferring. And I'm sure your reference was, I'm surprised he has uh, eligibility left. Remember, Tyree did the conventional transfer. He and Anthony DeRuji both arrived uh, and sat out a whole year. Mm-hmm. So since they did that, they still have the free COVID year, um, you know, in addition to the, you know, the grad transfer year or what have you. So he'll, he'll, he'll be a six year senior, Anthony DeRuji, um, No surprise. He's going to turn pro. We'll see where that leads him. Um, he didn't play the last few games because of a, an a- nagging ankle injury, I guess it was in the, in, in, uh, in the NIT where he, where he decided not to play. Um, Colin Kalsana has not made any sort of decision yet. Still waiting some uh, official words on some other guys. But uh, I did attend the first uh, uh, workout this week, uh, both the strength and conditioning workout, and they, they which they adjourned into a on-court basketball workout. And all, all the new staff members are here. I, I don't know when. I think la- late last week, it was after our podcast, they announced the hiring of Carlin Hartman by way of UNLV. He was out there as assistant coach to Kevin Kruger, the son of Lon Kruger. And he went there after six years with Lon Kruger. So he was with some of those really good Oklahoma teams, um, you know, Buddy Heald and, and, and the, that Final Four team. Uh, Carlin Hartman's a guy who's been around quite a while. I think he's, uh, I think he got three, three grown-up uh, uh, daughters. So I want to say he's probably, I think he played at Tulane in the early 90s. And, of course, he joins uh, Corey McRae, who was an uh, addition to the staff. I think we did talk about him a little bit last week but by way of Mississippi State. Uh, I think we made official also the hiring of Jonathan Sapphire, the uh, mathematics whiz, 
who's going to have a title, a new title of uh, director of uh, basketball strategy and analytics. So that's something that's going to be new for this team. Um, we've talked about uh, Todd Golden and his uh, the, the emphasis that he puts on analytics and number crunching and what have you. And this is the guy who's going to be doing that. Uh, in fact, it's funny, uh, the UAA had a one of its morning coffees the other day. They did They had up the three new coaches, Billy Napier, Todd Golden, and Kelly Ray Finley up. And Mick Huber did a little impromptu kind of Q&A with them. And Mick Huber just happened to ask Todd Golden because uh, the night before was the national championship game. He said, what's your philosophy of fouling up three uh, like North Carolina or like uh, uh, excuse me, Kansas didn't do last night? And he goes, well, how much time was left? And he said, uh, 4.2 seconds. And he goes, Jonathan, what's the strategy? And like he yelled out <laughs> to his mathematics guy, Run the numbers. what do you do? And, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. And he goes, no, don't foul. No, because you don't foul because you don't want to risk, you know, fouling a three-point shooter. So. Um, anyway, that's just an example, but, um, Victor <coughs> Lopez is the new strength and conditioning coach. He got his, uh, he had, he had his first sessions with the, what's left of the team right now. And it's not a lot, mm-hmm. it's not a lot of guys in there. Uh, five or six of them were in there, uh, going through, I will say to Koisi Reeves is still around. Uh, he has not made up his mind, so he's sticking around. I do believe Myron Jones is going to be here next year. Uh, Jason Jatobo is going to be here, I believe. Uh, I don't think that's official. Um, uh, Niles Lane uh, seems to be on board. Uh, All these guys, I imagine, will put out on social media what their final decisions are going to be. But they're getting acclimated, and I think it's cool. Also, they're out there in the the workout room going through stuff, and Todd Golden's doing all the stuff with them. Hmm. So it's a a different kind of of, of, of approach. Um, I remember – a quote from Brad Stevens. Um, he said, you want to get to know a player really well, go rebound for him. That's how you build relationships by being around them as much as you can be. And not just, you know, and not just a practice, not just in one-on-one meetings and uh, when you're going over tape and what have you, he's down there, like, you know, rolling up his sleeves and doing the, the conditioning and stuff with them. So um, I think, I think that's kind of a, a cool kind of thing. And I, I think that helps uh, forge, bonding and what have you. So um, that's where it is right now. And uh, I imagine you're about to ask me another question about staffing. Yeah. Don't, don't steal my thunder. Um, I've been, I've been building up for this one. Uh, (laughs) You've mentioned a lot of names coming on the staff that Gator fans have likely never heard before. Uh, But there is one that they know very, very well. Uh, And I think it's really cool. The, the connection to the past, the connection to the championship culture of the Gators, what better way than to bring back an element of the O4s uh, and Torian Green returning to Gainesville. Tell us about how this came together. Well, uh, it's it's not a, a, an announcement that has been made official by the basketball program, but uh, when the uh, head coach of the basketball team goes out and talks about it, I guess that's about, <laughs> as, that's about as good of a, a, a sign-off as you can get. Um, but Torian Green has spent the last um, – I want to say this year he retired from his from a very successful overseas career. I think after about 14 years, um, uh, last fall or last summer, uh, Billy Donovan hired as hired him in the Chicago Bulls as a director of player development or uh, something in the player development. I think they have several of those in NBA teams. But he's going to come here and he's going to be a his his goal is to get back into is to be a college coach one day. So they got it. This is. Uh, a newly created position, basketball director of player development. And yeah, to your point, uh, 
you have an instant tie back to the 04s. Uh, um, uh, Todd Golden is not one to shy away from not just expectations, but history. Uh, last week, I think, was the anniversary of the uh, second national championship game, the win over Ohio State. And some, I think the NCAA put out a highlight, a little highlight reel of the, of the win over Ohio state mm. and Todd, Todd Golden uh, retweeted it saying legends and he's getting 25% of those uh, legendary O fours in, in, in a guy who is going to come in. He's he'll, he'll be doing a lot of the, he can't, he won't be on the court. So he can't get out there and, and coach. Uh, he can't get out there and, work guys out I don't think I gotta I, I, because it's a new position I gotta find out what the what the rules are but it'll be dealing a lot with uh how they deal with community their 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 scheduling it's a it's a lot of like the entry level stuff that 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 coaches have have to find out about but what he's also going to be able to do is connect to former players and if you remember where Todd Bolton stood there up there at the podium the day he was introduced and talked about since 2000, former Florida basketball players have made more than a billion dollars in NBA contracts. Okay, in the in the era of NIL, um, let's just say that that's it's good to maybe keep in touch with some of these guys and <laughs> keep in, keep some kind of a pipeline maybe to uh, to Gator boosters and what have you. Because uh, as far as the Gator Collective is concerned. That's a, in lack of a better term, it's a bank, right? It's a bank to help these guys when it comes to NIL. So um, hopefully Torian Green to be, can be a bridge there. But one thing he's going to do, he's going to, like I said, he's not going to be coaching, but he, he's going to be a familiar face. And that's that, that's something that the fan base can get excited about. And uh, he'll have juice the minute he walks into the building because uh, his picture's up in the building a lot. And uh, he's on that wall of, uh, of, of champions um, along with uh, Joe Kim, along with Al, and along with Corey, because uh, those plaques and those images are reserved for only certain number of players. And obviously, Torian Green checks a, a bunch of the boxes that put him up on that wall of fame, if you will. And now he's going to be walking uh, through there in real life. And a good opportunity for a shameless plug. Uh, if you have not heard our special series about the 04s and the back-to-back national champions, scroll back about 100 episodes in your feed. Uh, we talked to Torian for that. It was really cool. Clearly a guy that still has a tremendous amount of passion for the Gators and, and fantastic to be connecting it back to, to such a, a critical time in, in the history of the program. Um, speaking of champions, Scott, let, let's talk quickly about gymnastics. Uh, I guess it shouldn't even be a surprise at this point when they perform at extraordinary levels. But even by their standards, what they did at the NCAA Regionals in Auburn was pretty phenomenal with a score that, that basically put everybody on notice that if Florida can do what they did there in about a week and a half in Fort Worth, they're probably going to be bringing home their fourth national title. We've seen this team perform at a high level all year, but I thought what they did at Auburn, it was like near the high water mark in program history. I mean, it's the biggest score in school history. At the NCAA Regionals uh, at Auburn against one of your top rivals, uh, just a dynamic performance, historic performance, third all-time highest score in NCAA gymnastics history for the team. Two tens from Trinity Thomas. uh, And afterward, Jenny Rowland said she still believes this team's got more to give. So what does that look like? Well, I think what they hope it looks like is pretty obvious at this point. Uh, them hoisting a national t- championship trophy in Fort Worth 
uh, in a, a week, a little over a week. And uh, the signs are pointing in that direction. We all know that a lot can happen in those pressure environments. So it's really, it's not a question of whether the Gators are talented enough to win a national title or if they're even going to be favored to, I think they will be. It's just really going to, are they going to be able to go out there and execute like they have all year? And if they do, I think you're going to see this Florida team win its first national championship under Jenny Rowland uh, and first since 2015 when they won the three in a row. So um, it's kind of been building to this, uh, to this place really for a couple of years, Adam, and, and due to a lot of uh, odds and ends, uh, we've seen, you know, the COVID in 2020, Trini Thomas's ankle injuries and some other injuries last year. But right now, uh, things are looking really good for this program. And, uh, I, you know, you got to give credit where it's due. When you go up there in that stage and, you know, you got the, the reigning Olympic gold medalist, Suni Lee for Auburn. You got a sellout crowd, obviously going for Auburn and there, you know, there's more teams than just Auburn there, but the Gators, they just didn't seem unfazed at all by any of this. And, uh, they had some of their cleanest routines of the whole year and, uh, and they're pretty excited about, you know, what's possibly next. They won the meet by a full point over Auburn, which for those that aren't familiar with gymnastics, winning a meet by a full point is like, you know, baseball, winning 15 nothing. I mean, it's just, it's crazy statistically. You don't see things like that very often. And obviously uh, the pressure is on, but the expectations are high and, and the energy is high to see if they can do it in a week's time and, and claim that national championship. So we will, of course, be talking about that when it happens. Um, you know, normally this time of year, we're talking about, uh, about baseball in a really positive light. Uh, but at the moment, Scott, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's team is, is having a rough go of it. And uh, coming off this past weekend where they got swept at Georgia, they actually fell out of the top 25. This is a team that was, I believe, preseason top five with high expectations. Um, to this point, what what has gone wrong? And uh, what are the short-term fixes for that? Well, yeah, a rare place for this program under uh, Kevin O'Sullivan, for sure, uh, outside looking into the top 25. Uh, they did rebound uh, from the three-game sweep up at Georgia with a big win over Florida A&M uh, in midweek. But we all know that Florida A&M is not quite SEC caliber. And guess what? They've got Arkansas, a top five team coming in this weekend. Then the following weekend, they play number one ranked Tennessee. And that's uh, just going to be the story of the rest of the year. And You know, if, if this was Major League Baseball, I'd say, well, the Gators would be probably looking right now to make a trade with I don't know, Georgia Tech or Iowa State and try to get some pitching help, but <laughs> we know that's we know that's not the way this works in college sports. And Kevin O'Sullivan has kind of said, hey, this is what we are. I mean, we are who we are. I believe in the talent on this team, the pitching talent, but these guys have to start getting ahead of hitters and throwing strikes and execute their pitches, or, you know, we're going to have the same story. And uh, that's a hard thing to ask. I mean, it's only mid-season here, Adam, and the Gators are, I think, 19-10 and 10 overall. I mean, obviously, uh, it's not a a team that's just falling off the cliff, but I think the, the three-game loss up at Georgia combined with those two defeats at home against LSU the previous weekend and the way they lost. I mean, they had some leads in those games, yeah. and – the bullpen was just unable to get it done. The starters behind Hunter Barco 
not being able to go deep into games. And then, of course, Hunter Barco had an uncharacteristic shaky outing for him. So, so they got to turn the pitching around. I think that's, you know, we can talk about this over and over. Uh, that's what it is. I mean, they're, they're hitting the ball well enough. They're scoring enough runs. They're playing well enough defensively. Can they start being better on the mound? And, and that's going to determine, I think, their season. And uh, it's a lot to ask of some young players in the middle of the season to kind of find their footing. But we'll see. We'll see if that happens or not. We will continue tracking their progress, and we'll talk about softball uh, next week as well. Uh, but right now, I want to want to turn our attention to the PAT, and this w- was not inspired by Scott's tweets. Um, but I, I recognize as I ask this, that this is uh, Scott disagrees with my basic premise of the question. So this past weekend, there were a lot of people, myself included, who were rooting for the storybook ending for Coach K. Uh, Scott was not, I know this cause he tweeted like a hundred times about how happy he was that Duke lost. Um, but you had this incredible opportunity for Duke to avenge the loss to North Carolina in the final four first time they'd ever played in the tournament. And for coach K to go out on top on his victory tour, which you almost never see happen. Generally, um, there's people that go out on top, they win and then they announce that they're retiring, but Less often, you have a situation where you have the year-long victory tour that is capped by the pinnacle. I wanted it to happen because I love stories like that. I think a lot of other people did. Uh, It did not. But I'm curious, from your perspective, what are some of your favorite storybook endings that you've seen over your, your long careers? And why does Scott hate Coach K so much? Let's address that first. You know, really, I just have never liked Coach K since uh, I, I was at Florida as a student. Remember 1994 Final Four? Chris was probably there. I was I was a student at the time, and they they led Duke 45-32 to 32 in the second half, and I'm like, man, they're going to beat Duke and go to the national championship game. And then Grant Hill took over, and, you know, Coach K and the whole Duke, I just started disliking them. And then, you know, as the years went on, I had a couple interactions with them that, you know, I would say were less than – friendly you know really? that's just his nature yeah so huh. i'm just not a big coach k fan great coach uh i think he's a coach that i don't know if we're going to see many more like him i think his day has passed but no denying he, he he built a great program had great success but i love the fact that his first loss in history at duke was to unc and his last loss in history at Duke was to UNC. That's just a perfect – that's a storybook ending. That's your me. storybook ending. Yes, <laughs> yes. But the storybook endings that I do like, I, I remember, um, you know, I was a big semi-Broncos fan, and they always got their ass kicked in the Super Bowl with John Elway. But later on at the end of his career, he won back-to-back to retire. So that was one that always stuck out to me. And another one – I was a little bit of a Lakers fan, younger. And the Kareem, they lost to the Pistons. Though, but I remember Kareem had this farewell tour like Coach K did. Every city gave him, like, a new car, watch, or whatever. And they actually made the finals that year. Uh, but they they lost. But I remember that being a cool storybook ending. Uh, I don't know how Kareem would look at that one. But those are a couple that stick out in my mind. But I actually root for bad endings. I'll say right now, the, the one – Guy who walked off, uh, retired, and won it all was uh, in his last game. 
Speaking of the Broncos, was Peyton Manning also. Mm. Um, yeah. However, I, he didn't play particularly well, and they didn't win the game because of him. Um, he he wasn't great his uh, at his last year. I'm pretty sure Von Miller won that Super Bowl for Denver. He he managed he managed the game very very well and to walk off with a second Super Bowl ring. Um, I'm surprised Scott didn't come up with. Obviously, the the, the one I was going to say was John Elway, of course. Uh, I'm surprised oh, wow. Scott didn't come up with this. So I, I Derek Jeter wasn't his. Last game, that walk-off, or was that a 3,000-hit game? No, or? that was – so his 3,000th hit was a homer. I want to say his last hit was, was the against walk-off the – single? Was the walk-off single? Well, I think it was the at, at, single Yankee, at Yankee Stadium, but his actual last, last game, I believe, was at Fenway, and okay. his last at-bat was like an infield single against the Red Sox. But uh, okay, you're thinking but, about his last game at Yankee Stadium. But I think Stadium. his last at-bat at Yankee Stadium. Yes. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I remember Derek Jeter leaving. And, and it's funny because, I, like anybody else, like most of the of mankind, you know, you get sick of the Yankees winning all the time. But mm-hmm. um, it's hard not to respect and, and dislike Derek Jeter for some reason. This actually ties back to what we were talking about earlier, but I would almost say – I would look at the 04s as a storybook ending, right? Those guys came back, and if they had come back and done anything but win the national championship, then it would have been considered a, a disappointment or, or a failure, which you could say that's basically how the, the Tebow story ended in the same way. Um, it had this incredibly high bar to clear that didn't happen, and so it's remembered in a certain way. But the 04s, they did what has not been done since 15 years later. They went back-to-back as number one. So I would argue, and again, I was, I was at that game. That was when I was a, a sophomore in college, freshman in college, actually. Um, so that, to me, that's the storybook ending with a very, very high degree of difficulty. And that's basically what Billy Donovan told him. He said, first of all, I don't want any of you to come back unless all four of you are coming back. Right. Second of all, once you once you agree to come back, understand something, you'll never deal with as much pressure as you have to deal with. Because no matter what we do, if we don't win the whole thing, we're going to be looked at as a disappointment. And to put that on your players, that's usually stuff coaches yeah. don't talk about. You know? But to say, but Billy doesn't coach uh, conventionally. And incredible storybook ending. And you know there are a lot of people, especially in Kentucky, rooting against that team. Well, I'll say this also. I, mean, we got, I think we got Gators listening to our Gator Tales podcast. How about a story about any of the 90, 96 national championship football team? And That's what happened with Florida State? And Danny Werfel capping a Heisman year with a national championship and coming back from what from the loss to Florida State and stuff like that. And I, we probably just buried the lead because we could have been talking about that for the last 20 minutes. So That's, whatever. That is true. Well, we, talk true. About, yes. we talk about that stuff a lot over the time. We, we like to – we like to spread our wings once That's a while, right. Chris. That's right. Gotta gotta leave gotta leave home sometimes, right? Explore other explore <laughs> other other programs and teams as well. Um but uh, in the meantime, you guys will be continuing to cover uh, this program very closely. Uh, and again, we're going to move toward that orange and blue game coming up in about a week. So make sure to follow these guys at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris for more about that. And then uh, we'll, we'll be back to preview it next week and as well as talk about gymnastics and that national championship meet. So a lot going on. You guys are staying busy. So thank you for, uh, for taking some time for the roundtable today. Thanks, Adam. Given the four years between each Olympics, the athletes that compete in sports like track and field and swimming have a very small window to make their mark and ensure their endless hard work pays off. Bobby Fink certainly took full advantage of the moment, doing much more with his summer break than most rising seniors in college. 
But while his elevation to the international stage may have been sudden, given his pedigree in the pool, it shouldn't be considered a surprise. So I've always lived in Florida for my whole life, um, over in Clearwater. My, I have two older sisters, Summer and Autumn, think. Autumn actually came here at UF for four years. And then um, Summer actually started a year at FSU. And then she came back, redshirted for a year, and then went to NC State um, for her last years of swimming. And then actually came to UF during my sophomore season and was a team manager for us. So all of us are kind of connected to UF swimming. Autumn all four years, Summer for her manager role on the team. Um, but my parents... My mom is from Wisconsin and my dad is from Indiana and my mom couldn't handle the cold. So she moved down to Florida. <laughs> she still can't handle the cold down here. I don't get it. She's from Wisconsin, but she can't handle the Florida cold. Um, the Florida cold is not real cold, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a different kind of cold. Um, but yeah, I grew up swimming my whole life. I started my first competitive meet was when I was five years old. You know, my, my mom was uh, the big swimmer in my family. My dad didn't really do any other sports or swimming. He did all the other sports, just not swimming. Um, so he didn't actually start swimming until he met my mom. Hmm. When even then, he didn't really swim. He, like, would get out of the pool and go, like, play basketball or something. Um, growing up, I swam for St. Petersburg Aquatics, North Shore Pool. And then I say when I was 12, my dad became one of the assistant coaches on a club. And my mom, my mom's a special needs teacher. But yeah, that, that, I guess that's kind of our little family story with swimming. Yeah. So summer and autumn, were you, uh, were you slated to be winter or fall? How did you, how did you avoid a season name? How did you end up with, uh, with Bobby? I, I don't know. My mom actually <laughs> wanted to name me Joshua and my dad was like, no, not at all. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know how I escaped that. I guess if I was a girl, I would have been like spring yeah or, or something we need we need a new and, and we established that uh your mom does not like the cold so winter is probably out of yeah. the question yeah winter yeah. is out of the question winter wasn't gonna work it. anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so okay so in terms of coming from a swimming family it, it's funny because i think about you know a lot of the athletes that talk to their football their basketball um you know their, their sports that you would automatically gravitate toward as a kid just as part of i guess american culture um how how do you just go all in on swimming? Were you were you just doing it because that's what your family did and you were all for it, or did you do other sports? But then you came around and wanted to to become a, a serious swimmer. Uh, so I did other sports. I feel like everyone, every every little kid, always does some sort of soccer league or something like that. I did that when I was like five or something. Uh, swimming was always there. I was always doing that full time. I was always doing other sports on the side to see like if I, if I wanted to continue in a different sport, I did baseball for four years. Um, was not very good. They gave me the sportsmanship award because I think I was, I was like that bad and they just like felt bad for me. Um, <laughs> I tried lacrosse only survived like three practices before I didn't like it anymore. And then the last word I tried was in third grade was I wanted to do football, but my mom didn't want me to like get hurt or anything. So then the closest option I could get to it was flag football. Okay. Which I was decent at. I used to be able to like run and then I went to middle school and was homeschooled. So I like lost any of like land act athletic ability I had. So I <laughs> suck at running now. 
but yeah, that was like the last sport I tried. And then like after that, I was like done with all, all the other sports and just continued the swimming. Hmm. So what was it about swimming? Was it just that you were good at it? Why did you develop a passion for it uh, to the extent, obviously, that, that you have now? I guess because I, I was good at it and I like I liked racing people. I, I, I just liked racing people a lot when I was little. I was always a really competitive kid, especially with two older sisters in the family. So I was always competing with them at everything, especially being like the youngest brother. You know, you always want to be better than your older sisters. But yeah, just always like competing with them. And they were also in swimming. So I wanted to beat them in swimming. So yeah. Whenever I interview track athletes or swimmers, I always want to know how you, you end up with a specialty. How do you lock in a stroke? How do you know what distance you're going to be? Um, when did you realize that that freestyle was was what was working for you and what you could really excel in? My mom was a distance swimmer. My two older sisters are distance swimmers. So it was kind of like, you're most likely a distance swimmer. So that I guess that's kind of where it was. Although I did, when I was 10 years, 10 years old, I won the 100 freestyle at our age group championship. So I still hold that on a couple of my roommates here who actually were in that race when we were 10 years old. I still hold that on them all the time. They hate it, but yeah. I Yeah, I feel like if, because I think about racing, right? When people race, they automatically go to the shortest distance, the fastest they could do it, right? So yeah. how how do you get, amped about distance swimming i feel like that would be something that you know I, I would that would be like in my mind that would be last resort if i couldn't do the other things that were that were like sexier right like how do you how do you get into distance swimming you can't sprint that's how you get into it. you just can't sprint so you gotta keep going up until you until you find something um getting amped about it is kind of hard you know it's a long race yeah so i guess like be when I'm behind the blocks, I, I try to just like tell myself to stay calm, really. You know, like with the sprint events, a lot of people are slapping themselves and everything. And if you find that in a distance rate, right, I'm shocked, really. Uh, I'll never see someone someone doing that. <laughs> really just like trying to say my, telling myself to stay calm. And, you know, I'm not really good at the sprint event. So that's kind of what I'm left with. <laughs> <laughs> um. How, how do you keep track of where you are in a race? I mean, I always think, especially when I'm watching in the Olympics, right? I mean, you're, when you're swimming for 14, 15 minutes, how do you know where you are relative to the field? Or is it just a clock in your head and, and you base it off of that? So you can normally see the field, at least for my mile, I could see the field. I, I was pretty lucky. I was on a little bit of an outer lane from uh, Romanchuk and Welbrock and uh, Paul Chinari on the other side. So I knew where those three guys were. And 800 was a little different because Paul Chinari was in lane eight. I couldn't see him. But yeah, after like swimming a race for how old am I? I'm 22. So for like <laughs> if you 15 have to ask, years. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for like 15 years, you kind of like know kind of what speed you're going at. You kind of like have an internal clock in you because you've just been doing it for so long. So I kind of knew what I was going, but I also, you're always like a little bit unsure, mm -hmm. um, but you always just have like a good idea of what you're going and where the competition is around you and what they're doing and stuff like that. I know I, I fast forwarded a bit there to the Olympics, but I, I want to dial it back for a second. Uh, obviously, you said you grew up in, in Florida, you were in Tampa and Clearwater. Was Florida always where you wanted to go to school or did you consider when you were being recruited that you could venture elsewhere? Uh, so originally, at least like when Autumn was going to Florida, I was like, 
Uh, I probably won't go to Florida. I don't know. It's just like all siblings at one school is like different to me, especially like when um, Summer, our second oldest sister, went to FSU. I was like, okay, chances of me going to Florida is like pretty low since like we'll be at like three different schools. But um, Florida became a, like my primary option when I started talking to Nesty. Um, he was like the assistant head coach and doing like all the recruiting at times. So like when I was getting recruited by Nesty, that's probably when I was like, okay, I, I want to come to Florida, even though I was like pretty against it before meeting him. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just like after being recruited by Nesty, it, it was just like, I wanted to come here. How does the path to the Olympics start to take shape? That's what I, I was wondering with athletes that are, you know, they're doing, that are in college and in an individual sport and one of those Olympic sports. I mean, does the, does the Olympic plan start to come together I don't know when you're when you're 12 is it once you get to school like how early do you start building a sort of a timeline of here's where I need to be to continue on that path it's, I'd say it's different for everyone a lot of people are are late bloomers um I believe Connor Dwyer was a really late bloomer when it came to like making the Olympic team I think his first national team wasn't made until he was in college hmm. um and like considering like a lot of the other Olympians you know their first national team is like end of high school or around there. For me, I guess the Olympic roads started in 2016 when I went to my first trials and I got seventh there and I was in the final seat at trials. I was like, if everyone gets DQ'd, then I can make it. <laughs> it's a good strategy. <laughs> it's a great strategy. Yeah, I mean, like the shot, the chance of that is like, next to nothing but you know i was like there's a chance yeah Um, so like after that i was like i did so much better than what i thought i was going to especially under like you know it's it's like your first trials you're you're really like stressed and pressure because you don't know like it's it's the biggest meet you've ever been to like easily so i did pretty well under that like that kind of pressure and then in 2017 i made my first world's team and i was like in three years, I, I, have a, I have a shot to do this if I just, like, keep my trajectory going, the progress I'm making going, and stuff like that. Trials times, I was not too pleased about, I'll be honest, but the whole goal of the meet was to make, like, the Olympic team, and that was what was done. So, at the end of the day, it was, it was a big success, despite, like, how disappointed I was in at times, but you know, it all worked out pretty well that summer. So, you know, I'll, I'll take it again. <laughs> yeah, COVID derailed so many plans for so many, um, but especially for Olympic athletes, right? I mean, you're on this, again, talking about this plan, like you're looking, okay, four years, I got to hit X, Y, Z along the way. How difficult was it to kind of reset, recalibrate when COVID hit? Did it help you, do you think? Did it hurt you? Was it a was it kind of nothing? I mean, how, what what impact do you think it had? Uh, so for me, when COVID hit and like trials and everything was canceled, I kind of accepted it really quickly just because I was like, I'm only a sophomore in college. I know I'm going to be swimming next year, so it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll just wait till next year because I, I was going to be swimming anyways. I felt felt bad for the pros that were going to retire after the these trials or Olympics because um, they still had to do a whole another year of training. And like that's kind of exhausting mentally and physically if you were expecting to be done mm-hmm. by now. So I kind of felt bad for them. But for me, it was, it was pretty, uh, I, I was okay with it. And like the summer was like, it, it was like fun for me. I got to see like old friends again at the pool sometimes. 
one of my good friends, he comes here now, Caleb Kravitz. He, he has a dock um, right on the bay. So, like, when everything was canceled, we, like, jump off his dock and then just swim, like, close to the shoreline on the bay. And it was really scary. There was a whole bunch of stingrays and, like, dolphins and everything. Like, dolphins, you think they're going to be safe, but you still don't <laughs> want to go near them, like, when you're just, you know, like, anything can happen. But uh, right. People are worried about sharks, but they should really be worried about those dolphins. Yeah, like, I feel like the dolphins can be mean sometimes, you know, after like, because sharks are scared of dolphins, right? So, like, I'm going to, if I'm a shark, I'm going to be scared of a dolphin, too. Sharks are scared of dolphins? That's what I've always, like, learned I, growing up. Was like, when you see dolphins, there's no sharks nearby. Did not notice um, that. There's something to keep in mind. That's, like, that's what I've always learned. Um, <laughs> just growing up, just being close to water. There's, if there's dolphins, there's no sharks, you are good. Could be completely wrong about that. Don't look it up for yourself, guys. But, you know. There's so many stingrays, like, because the water would only be two, two, three feet. So you're swimming on top of them. And sometimes there's a stingray there. And you just, you just think of like Steve Irwin, like when you swim on yeah. top of it, you just get like, you like panic a little bit, but like nothing would happen. Although one of our friends did get stung, but he, he was like, we were walking out and he wasn't shuffling his feet. So he, he just stepped on one and got stung in his bottom of his foot. That was a really interesting day. You talked a little bit about uh, about your memories of, of competing in the Olympics. I'm curious, just overall, what was the experience like relative to your expectations, right? I imagine everyone who does what you do thinks for a long time in their head, I'm going to get to the Olympics. This is what it's going to be. How did that square with, with your experience? So going into the Olympics, I think my it exceeded my expectations um, in all honesty. And I think that was a good thing. I didn't want to, I put my expectations for it to be pretty low just because like, you don't want to walk in there disappointed and you're just like, Oh, I thought it'd be bigger than this. But like, mm-hmm. no, the facility was amazing. Japan did really well with it. And it, it was a beautiful pool. Um, felt really good in it the whole time. So I was, I was just pleased like the whole time, especially with like how, um, cause Kieran swam on the first day. So like, after like seeing him race, I was like excited too because he did really well. He got the bronze, I believe, in the four. Yeah, he got bronze in the four free. So like after seeing him race, I was really excited and just like kind of just anxious about like you know when do I get to swim? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely exceeded my expectations just because of COVID and everything. I was like, it's not going to be this big. Like if there's a year to go not make the Olympics compared to like 2016 or 2024, like this would be the year. <laughs> this this is the year to skip if possible. Yeah. <laughs> you had to. Because <laughs> like there's no spectators or anything. Like right, everyone's right. like, this Olympics is going to be like pretty lame. But, you know, I, I didn't think of it that way. I thought it was amazing. And, and believe it or not, the stands were still like pretty full mm-hmm. just because there's so many swimmers there. Yeah. Um, and like on the other side, it was like covered with just media. So that, that was cool. And it, was, it, it so felt, I mean, I wasn't there in 16. So like they have something to compare it to, but I don't have anything to compare it to. So mm-hmm. it still felt like an Olympics to me, I guess. That's what I know what an Olympics feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you win two gold medals. Was that, I mean, were you expecting to win two gold medals? What, what was, what did you think you were going to be able to do? I was not expecting to medal at all. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, I just wanted to make it back in the finals. And one thing led to another, and and then I came home with two golds. But uh, especially in the eight free, uh, there was a lot of guys. But then some of, a lot of the guys from like Worlds and 
other huge international meets that ended up not making the final. And I, I was like shocked. I was like, okay, this is my time. And then I went into the final third. I was like, that was when I believed that I could win some medal because I, I was third going in, normally better at finals. So I just had a confidence boost just going into the finals. But then like with like a 50 left, I, I was in like fifth place or something. And I saw relatively that I was behind everyone by so much. And I was not in a place to get a medal at all. Um, like lane one was ahead of me. I was like three, four or five were ahead of me. And I assumed Paul Chenary was ahead of me just because he was out so fast. Uh, but then I passed them all in the last 50 and that was that. And then going into the mile, I just had basically the confidence from the previous 800. All I had to do was, was stay with those guys. I feel like the answer to this question is never as, as exciting as people think it's going to be. Uh, but where are those medals now? What, what, what have you done with the medals? They're in a safe. I, I don't really show off my, my stuff too much. Like I don't, everything's always like in a, just like in my closet or something. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really show off my stuff. I know they're there. And that's like, what's important to me is that I know they're there. Like if someone steals it, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> but like I'll be, I'll be, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like even with like the smaller metals and, and stuff, like I always know where they are. And if someone takes them, I'll be mad. But all I have to know is like I just know where they are and I'm happy, really. <laughs> so you didn't flaunt them anywhere? You didn't use it to get like, I don't know, like a, a free drink somewhere or something? No. <laughs> no. Oh, man, I brought them. What's the point, right? Like I'd wear those things <laughs> everywhere. I brought them to a couple places with me, but it was mainly because I, I, I knew I was going to take photos with some people where I wanted to to share the medals you know like the first thing I did when I came back I think then yeah I came back to Gainesville for a day did a press conference and then I drove back to Clearwater the next night or later that later that night and then the next day I went to my club team with uh and showed the medals to my club coach and they ended up having a swim meet going on so I ended up taking photos for like four hours and like signing stuff for like the little kids and stuff, which was really cool. Hmm. But yeah, if if I like want to like show them to someone or like important to me, then I'll bring them with me somewhere. Like I brought them to maybe like two more places, hmm. and then they're here. Yeah, <laughs> you have to arrange a special viewing time. If you'd like to see the medals, meet Bobby at the bank at four o'clock, and you can go. Yeah. <laughs> you can go open the, yeah. the safety deposit box for a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I protect them. I like to feel like I protect them really well, you know. (laughs) But um, it's a better answer than I think some people say they're in their sock drawer. So what your your approach seems a little more uh, a little safer at at the pardon the pun a little little safer. Yeah. Um, a couple couple final things for you. Um, one of the things about being at Florida is you're around a lot of other really really talented swimmers. A lot of names that people know. Uh, from the games themselves. I mean, Caleb Dressel is not doing what you yeah. do, but obviously you're in the pool with guys like that. Uh, not too far back is Ryan Lochte, right? This whole group of great Olympic swimmers. Uh, and then you have maybe the most famous volunteer coach right now uh, ever. Mm-hmm. And, and Katie Ledecky is one of the greatest distance swimmers yeah. of all time. What is the yeah. influence of all of these people around you? What What do you take from them? How do you How do you grow from their influence? Oh, there's there's always something new to learn every day. I I mean UF right now is is quite literally the center of US swimming right 
we, we have the greatest male athlete in the world right now, Caleb, and we have the greatest female athlete in the world right now, Katie, in mm-hmm. one place. There, there's just so much to learn from them and just like how the, the way they carry themselves around the pool and how they act and, you know, just like how kind and also how much experience they have because they, they've been doing it for so long, especially Katie since 2012 when she was like 15 years old. So she knows what it's like to be a veteran on the team and she also knows what it's like to be so 15-year-old on the team. You know, um, I feel like that was probably really important for for a couple of the girls over this past summer because there, there was a 15 year old on the team, Katie, named Katie. <laughs> so, and then there's two, there's so many high schoolers on the on the women's team, and we had a couple of high schoolers as well. It was it was a really young team, so I think just like having Katie, not even just like at UF, just like anywhere, it, it's incredibly important. Just like the amount of influence she's able to give and experience she's able to to share with people um you know it's 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 a treat basically mm-hmm. not only that she works her butt off in practice like i've never seen one seen anyone train like her before to be honest with you it's scary at some times um but you know it just makes everyone around her better because you want to race her and you want to beat her basically same thing with Caleb too like i i love trash talking Caleb um, even though I get my butt whipped every time, I always be like, "Yo, I could beat you in a twenty-five right now." Our third practice back after the games. Okay, mm-hmm. to be fair, he had a couple more like weeks, but he did. A, I took like a month, three weeks off, like three to four weeks off, and he was going to ISL, so he was like swimming a couple times throughout his break. Um, but like our third practice back, I was like, I could beat you on a 25 right now. Basically, he touched. He was already out of the pool. And he was over my lane like, hey, good job, good job. Wow. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> I still trash talk him, though. I still right, like, yeah, right, right. I could beat you right now. But yeah, just just having those people around here, and it, it, it's incredible. You know, it's a quite literally this the center of U.S. swimming and maybe even the world soon. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you spend a lot of time training. That's a, it's a huge part of what you guys do when you are out of the pool, when you do have free time, what do you like to do uh, when you have a chance to, to unplug from competition? I'm a big dog person. I love cats. I love cats. My sister has cats and everything, but I, I had a dog growing up. His name was Sonny. Um, he passed away in 2015 and then we got another dog in 2017 after i came home from worlds named brewster uh he's doing well right now i miss him a lot he's at home i'll I'll get to see him later this summer probably end of july august area so i'm excited to see him there but yeah i'm I'm a big dog person i love just taking him on walks and everything um play video games sometimes with the friends especially on like the switch we Mm -hmm. play like super smash bros and, and mario kart and stuff I also love going to movies too. I've not seen the new Morbius. I've not heard good things about it though. Neither have I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll probably wait for that one to be out on Disney Plus or something like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, la- what was the last movie I saw? Yeah. What was, what was the last movie you saw? What was the last good movie you saw? Because those are two different questions. Mm-hmm. So the last movie I saw was good. It was more like, it wasn't like a full on serious movie. It's more like, go and have a good time and I, I had a really good time i laughed a lot was it the lost city yeah it was a lost city I was, yeah. that, that's exactly how i described that to someone when i saw it last week 
yeah like <laughs> it's not like a serious movie it's more of just like a fun movie you know right it's like right right i i saw that last week on wednesday i believe with my girlfriend yeah you need those sometimes because then you'll watch like the power of the dog and you're like i need something more fun than this yeah um <laughs> yeah this, good. have you watched the power of the dog on netflix i have not seen it no don't i know that the dog in there might make you want to do it since you said you like dogs it's not actually about yeah. dogs don't see it it's terrible it's not about uh, no it's not about, it's nothing to do with dogs and it's a very bad boring two hours and, and 10 minutes um <laughs> psa for anyone listening to this who was thinking about watching a movie um <laughs> final question for you mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about a lot of your accomplishments right i mean you've won multiple gold medals you've won ncaa titles i mean i'm thinking about this from just any layman standpoint i'd be like you know what I'm good, right? I've 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 checked a lot of boxes. What keeps you going? What motivates you to continue excelling in college? To continue excelling on an international stage when you've done so many of the things that that people set out to do? Uh I guess the easiest and the most truthful answer is just I want more. You know, <laughs> yeah. I want more medals. <laughs> There's still there's still room in the safe, right? Yeah, <laughs> gotta fill the yeah, safe. There, up. There's still room in the safe. There's still room <laughs> in the safe. Um, but you know, after you get like a little taste of like what it's like, you just I, I just want more, really. That's like the only only answer I can think of is just like I want more. I want to. I think breaking a world record could be pretty cool. So like you know, I want to do that. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I just want more medals. <laughs> And that's probably what makes a lot of the greats keep going and and keep chugging <laughs> along. Is there's you can always there's always more. You can always be greater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Bobby, we really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, congratulations on everything you've accomplished, and good luck on getting more. We want we know you want to get more. <laughs> good luck getting more. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's gonna do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.